This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Carrie McIntyre, CFO of Interstate Hotels and Resorts, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leaders Podcast. This is episode 353. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Kelly Steckelberg, CFO of Zoom Video Communications. While a move to the Bay Area from Austin, Texas, helped to jumpstart Kelly's finance career, opportunity would soon knock in Amsterdam. The first of a number of surprise career twists, including a recent stint as a CEO. We speak to Kelly about all this, as well as Zoom, after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Kelly Steckelberg, CFO of Zoom Communications. Kelly, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Great to be here. As always, we like to begin by learning a little bit about yourself and what you feel those experiences were that helped prepare you for a CFO role. What would those have been? Sure. So, you know, I started my career in public accounting, which was a great opportunity. And I think what public accounting provides is a broad landscape of experiences that help you then move into industry, which I did after about four years in public accounting. And I think if I were to pick kind of over the years, three big milestones that have really kind of mapped out or changed maybe the course of my career, I would say the first one was when I was at KPMG, I had the opportunity to move from audit into a tax rotation, which I did, which sounds crazy that you want to learn more about taxes, but it's been something that's been very, very helpful for me in my career to have that that baseline of knowledge, and I ended up actually staying in the tax department for a period of time, which I really, really enjoyed. And 
From there, I went on to PeopleSoft, and this was before PeopleSoft was acquired by Oracle, still a standalone company, uh, in the tax department, which I loved. But I think the second big milestone that kind of changed the course of my career at that point was I said yes to an international rotation. And I agreed to move to Amsterdam, even though I'd never been there. So sight unseen, I agreed to move. And I ended up staying in Amsterdam for three and a half years. And this was a great experience for me, both personally and professionally. My career really grew because it was a, a smaller division of people stuff. So I really got to have an expanded set of responsibilities that I would not have had had I stayed at corporate here in California. And that was great. Then I went on and did another, uh, excuse me, another uh, software company and then moved on to WebEx, which was acquired by Cisco, ended up staying there for several years. But I think that the, the third, again, real big milestone that sort of changed the course of my career again was I was at an online dating site called Zeusk, and I joined as the CFO. And I did that for about three and a half years, and then there became an opportunity for me to become the CEO. And that was a really interesting decision for me to make because I'd never seen ever been a CEO before and didn't ever expect to have that opportunity. But I said yes, and it was great because what that did was allowed me the opportunity to really learn a lot more about the business side of things, how product works, how do you set project roadmaps. Um, I learned about engineering and how they interact with product and design teams. Also learned a lot more about marketing. And what that's really done is enabled me to be much more equipped for my job now as the CFO of Zoom. And it helps me approach my job in a very different way than I really would have if I've never had that experience. When you went back, you went into a CFO role. Were you, would you have considered yeah. a CEO role or, or is there something pulling yeah. you back into the finance function? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that the reason that I'm in this role today is because there were very there were many compelling factors about why I wanted to join Zoom and, and why I'm in the CFO role here. First of all, our founder is someone that I knew from my WebEx days. He is, was one of the founding engineers at WebEx and has come along and started this amazing company at Zoom. And because of the level of trust between Eric and I, that was very compelling for me, as well as I think that, again, my background as having been a CEO makes me, allows me to now be even a better partner, business partner to Eric, because I really have a different perspective on, on the challenges that he's facing every day in his CEO role. And I think the potential and the momentum that this company is experiencing is just something that I couldn't pass up. It was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. And so here I am as a CFO. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask too, just on the early part of your uh, career, uh, you were at KPMG. Were you uh, based in, in uh, the Bay Area at that point in time, or is that Texas? I was in San Francisco. So I graduated from UT Austin. And when I graduated, I was ready for an opportunity to look outside of Texas. And so I was um, lucky enough to be in a program that was pretty heavily recruited and got the opportunity to come to San Francisco. So I started at KPMG in the auto practice in the San Francisco Bay Area office. And then I did actually move back to Austin in the tax department for about a year. And then I came back to the Bay Area with with PeopleSoft at some point. Before we move on, I want to touch on just uh, some of the early aspects of your career. Again, uh, early on, you received a master's in accounting. I don't know how many uh, 
CFOs have a master's in accounting, but uh, I do know if, if perhaps few CEOs do. What what led you down that path? Um, yeah, so it's it's more common in Texas these days because at the time Texas now requires 150 hours of education in order to sit for the CPA exam. So in in at least in Texas, you can get a master's degree in 150 hours. So they the University of Texas often offers an it's an accelerated master's program where you just go straight through and you don't you are awarded your bachelor's and your master's degree at the same time with 150 hours of coursework. So that's that's exactly what I did. Now, PeopleSoft was one of the the great tech growth stories of the 1990s. Um, curious how you, uh, if you could give us some detail as to the growth you witnessed uh, during your, your tenure there in that finance function. I started at PeopleSoft when we were in a small office in Walnut Creek. And, you know, during my time there, in the next five years, they moved to a campus, right, a whole campus down in Pleasant End of its own. And it was, it was really great. You know, I was in Europe where I was managing a division, you know, from a finance perspective that was as big as many public companies today, you know, just a division of, of the European division of PeopleSoft at that time. Ed Zeusk, you were a CEO for a number of years. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a six-month stint. Uh, what skills were tested? What uh, and again, you know, we mm-hmm. always think of the CEO leadership as perhaps being more expressive. What would you yeah. tell us about that yeah. experience? And, and what was yeah. what was most challenging for you as you stepped into that role? Well, I think you touched on one of them by using the word expressive. One of the first things that I really did do was spend some time on my ability to address audiences. And I did a lot of work with public speaking coaches as well as media coaches to ensure that I was able to effectively communicate the message and to motivate teams, which often you do, you know, through all hands. And that was hard for me. That's not something that a skill that comes naturally for me, but I really focused on it as something I really wanted to be better at. And then certainly there's a whole other aspect of being a CEO, which finance people don't often get to participate in at this level, which is around the strategy, right? So separating kind of, okay, how are we going to make money to what do we need to be investing in for the long term and what is the strategy we want? And actually at, at Zeusk in the first year that I was the CEO, we decided we wanted to change kind of the course of the product. And part of what that meant was eliminating features that were revenue producing. So imagine my first year as a CEO, I actually – we came up with a strategy that was actually going to reduce revenue for at least the next year based on our product direction. And it worked for the long term, but wow, that was a very difficult decision to make at the time. And it's absolutely counterintuitive to everything that you ever learn as a finance person. Um, and of course, what that meant, unfortunately, was we had to reduce our expenses correspondingly, which we did through a reduction in force as well as reducing our marketing spend. But again, two, two years later, our strategy really took hold and the company began to grow again and was in a much better place. Okay, so uh, let's now fast forward to Zoom, where clearly this has to be uh, a strategic finance role for you. But share with us how you envision this role. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of aspects to the role here. 
Um, first of all, you know, finance, and I've always run my finance teams this way, is that we're a customer service organization. We have both internal and external customers that we support every day. And the team was already oriented in that way for sure. Um, the one thing that we are adding or beefing up, I would say, is the FP&A organization to ensure that we're providing enough business partnering experience to people so they can help make decisions as we keep moving forward and growing as a company. But in terms of billing support and collections, everything, that part was already well enhanced with our external customers. Our focus at Zoom is to make sure that our customers are happy. happy. Providing happiness to them is really key to what we do every day. And the team here really has that orientation already and, and was, is, is doing very well with that. I think the second aspect what's important to me for this role is back to being a business partner to our CEO. For me personally, is our CEO and other executives. And the way that I focused, have focused on doing that initially is really starting to understand, well, how does our product work? What is it about our product that is unique? And how do we support our customers in that? How, you know, what's our marketing team? What, what are our initiatives around branding as well as lead generation? And approaching it from the business perspective rather than just the finance perspective. Because what I've learned, when I was, before when I was a CFO, um, I understood, I I understood how our business worked, but oftentimes I was repeating words that I'd heard, like a talk track that I knew, and I knew it to be accurate, but it didn't necessarily mean that I really understood exactly every nuance of it. And I'm approaching this role very differently. By spending time with the product people and the marketing people, I really want to understand how it works, so that when I speak, I'm speaking from a very different position of authority, and really having that CEO experience is what's, what's allowing me to do that, because I have such a greater understanding of it. And... I view my role as a CFO as I'm a marketer of this company and just this as much as our salespeople are. So I need to be as well-versed about our product and finances, of course, but our product first and foremost and our customers and their experiences as any sales rep does. And so that's, that's how I initially spent my time here was getting up to speed and learning as much as I could about that. So let's find out about uh, Zoom Video Communications. Tell us uh, something about its offerings and uh, how it's competing today. Sure. So Zoom is, you know, a leader in terms of the modern video conferencing space. And our CEO spent an amazing, does an amazing thing here by really building a product from the ground up that is meant to be the, the best video communications product out there. And, you know, there have been a lot of people in the space for sure, but if you look at some of the legacy products, they've tried to take products that were built either for audio conferencing or for screen sharing and convert them to video. And our product just works in a very different way. It's a you know, very reliable, all in the cloud for video, audio conferencing, chat, and, and webinars. And it, it just works. It works across mobile, it works across desktop, and it, we, it works in conference rooms as well. And we really see our key competitors in the smart market get still as, you know, Cisco WebEx and, and Microsoft through their Skype for Business and their teams. Um, and Gartner released the, their most recent magic quadrant has just the three of us in the top right quadrant. So I think that's a real testament to Zoom that that's, that's where we're sitting and, and how great this product is. This being a cloud business, I think we have a strong suspicion as to what your uh, favorite metrics are likely going to be. But uh, what would you tell us if I asked, uh, what are those metrics that uh, 
you're paying close attention to to understand how the company's performing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the key metrics that we look at, of course, and I look at it every day, is monthly recurring revenue, or MRR. Right? That's a really great way that we look at the overall health of the business and how we're growing and how we're trending. Um, of course, we also look at the number of customers. We look at the number of daily attendees in meetings. So every day, how many people have logged into a Zoom meeting? Um, and that's a really exciting metric to see it continue to grow. Um, of course, we look at you know financial metrics, revenue, um, churn or retention. We look at all, all of those on a very regular basis. Just curious about during the course of your career, where did the subscription model first come into play over the last 10 years for you? Or was it always some element of it? Well, no, it was really when I joined WebEx. So before WebEx, I had really been at enterprise software companies, both PeopleSoft and then Epiphany. And I joined WebEx, and WebEx was one of the first real subscription-based companies, them and Salesforce. You know, and that's when, like, MRR was a new concept for people, a new metric. And so it was great because I was there while WebEx was really on the, on the forefront of establishing this new business model. And it was really different and revolutionary at the time. And certainly that background uh, has served me well to be here at, at Zoom. It's a very, very similar business model. Excuse me. And so a lot of the, my knowledge and, of course, the metrics that we use at WebEx translate here. It's very similar. When you consider the new data that's become accessible to finance, do you view it as a source of new metrics to measure the business? Or let me ask, how do you view uh, perhaps the role of finance in relation to this new data? Um, We have lots and lots of data. I think that we are sticking to a pretty standard set of metrics that we look at every day here. We, and, and things that certainly I think as we think about when we talk to investors, how do we tell our story, we try to be pretty consistent with a story and metrics that they, they're used to, right, so that it makes sense to them. Um, what I do think we're going to continue to see is as there's more and more data available, are these leading indicators of some sort? Do they help us need to pay attention to something? But not necessarily that they're going to be part of our investor story, more just internally, are they warning signs or just signs that we're we're doing well and we're on the path that we need to be on. We want to ask you uh, our finance strategic moment question, which is uh, a moment of strategic insight that you experienced as a finance leader during the course of your career. And you've had uh, a number of interesting chapters, so feel free to uh, go back in time if you'd like uh, for us. But what would you share with us? I was thinking about this question. So I think um, I, I think there's there's two things. I think one of the things which was not my initiative, but PeopleSoft did extremely, extremely well, was help everyone understand how spending a dollar at PeopleSoft was like spending their own dollar, and how when you have many, many employees how that, that leverage or it increases exponentially. And 
being able to articulate to people, if everyone in our company saved $5 today or $7 tomorrow, right, how that translates. And we were, I was able to take that to my CFO at Epiphany, and we started incorporating that into how we talked about spending at Epiphany as well. And I think that when you show people and you give people the example of like, if you just save $100 this quarter, this is what it translates to for our company. And you really just help them understand that. Like, I think like that always, but not everybody does. And it, it was very, very powerful. And it resonated very well with people at Epiphany. And it's something that actually has already been done, I think, very well here at Zoom. It's part of the philosophy about thinking about your spending company money the same way you would your own. And I think that that does wonders. It sounds so simple, and yet it does wonders in terms of rather than having to impose processes and tight budget constraints on people, if you just help them be empowered to think about it like it's their own money, it, it really goes a long, long way. I think the other, the other learning for me was much more recent, which was at Zeusk, and that was in my CEO role, really helping everyone in the company understand um, how our product roadmap and what those deliverables were could correlate directly to our financials. When we started sharing that very broadly across the company and helping them understand how these items and these deliverables, how they were connecting into our finance and our um, forecast, that was really, really powerful because what it did for people was help them understand how they were contributing to the overall success and the financial success of our company. Rather than just having a product or a project they were working on in isolation, they now understood how it was part of this bigger picture of what we were trying to achieve as a company. And I think what both of these examples have, I guess, in common is it really comes down to communicating financial goals or other goals that contribute to finances across the company. And what you'll find is Everybody wants to participate in the company's financial success, especially. And if you give them the opportunity to understand how they fit in that, most people will certainly rise to the occasion and do everything they can to help you achieve those objectives. I want to touch on the talent economy with you. When you talk about building a workforce, what role does finance play in that today? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I think the role that we play here at Zoom is this is this company is growing very, very quickly. And so it's helping people think about as they're making hiring decisions, whether it be a location or a package that they're offering, it's thinking about how is that going to be scalable for the long term first. And secondly, is it setting a precedent that we are happy with or not? So, you know, when you're in a smaller organization, you can do one off here and one off there, but as the company starts to really get to be a meaningful size, you need to think differently about that. And that is exactly where Zoom is at this time. So it's just helping them think about, is this the right way to approach this? Is there another way we want to think about it? Is this going to work for you and the team and the company for the long term? And everybody here, you know, is, is great. They're, they all want to do the right thing. So it's just helping them give them that, that perspective and support them in making that decision in a way that we think is going to work for the long term. When it comes to talent, are there certain metrics that you pay attention to today? We are, so Zoom, providing happiness to both our customers and our employees is the key ethos of, of Zoom. And so 
one of the things, the, the, well, the biggest metric I think that we look at here is, is retention. And it's both, you know, from a, a voluntary and involuntary perspective, ensuring that we are hiring, making the right hiring decisions. And if for any reason we're not, why is that? And making sure that we go back and we reassess where in the pipeline we could be better about that. You know, or is it in the hiring pipeline? Is it an interview process? So that's probably the absolute key metric that we look at from a hiring perspective is ensuring that our employees, we're, we're hiring the right people to be successful here and we're setting them up to do so. And if not, how, how come? Why did that happen? And what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen again in the future? We're going to move to our, our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, I think finance is a great role because you get to help give people information and help them make decisions. And that's empowering for everybody. Most people, again, they want to do the right thing for the company. They want to participate in success. And if you give them the ability, the information, and the access they need to do that, they will always help with it. And it's great to see that. And it's great to see a team come together in that way. When you first stepped into a finance leadership role to the CFO office, let's say. What is that one piece of advice you wish someone perhaps had given you? One a CEO asked me as I was trying to bring some processes to a company that, you know, I'd seen work somewhere else, but wasn't I, well, honestly, I wasn't being very thoughtful about what I was trying to do. He said to me, what is the problem you're trying to solve, Kelly? And it was really good for me. I think about that all the time now. As you're approaching something, not just bring something you've seen, bring something you've seen work somewhere else. It doesn't mean it's going to fit here or work here. But what, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And then drawing on your past experiences and finding sort of the best solution for it based on what you know and what you think is going to work. Do you have a personal habit that you feel has contributed to your professional success? I, myself, am very goal-oriented. So daily goals, quarterly goals, you know, annual goals, goals for my career. And I think that when you, when you start with what am I going to accomplish today and then the next into what am I going to accomplish this quarter, what am I going to accomplish in the next, you know, year, that I think, and then coming back and making sure you've done it, I think it's a great way to see where you're succeeding at that and where you're not and where for me, like where I can do better personally. And I think being committed to that ongoing personal development um, is, is has certainly has contributed to me continuing to take you know, my ability to take on continued roles and responsibilities. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, I think there's uh, two books that I really think are helpful, especially in the technology space. The first one is the the hard thing about hard hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. It's about his role as mostly as a CEO. You know, he's a very well respected you know, VC investor today. But it really it talks about these real life situations that he was facing that were really really difficult, and what the ultimate outcome of was. And some that were great successful, very successful, and some of them that weren't so successful. But I think it's really great to see that someone as successful and as respected as he is as a leader has gone through some really difficult times. And then the other one that I, that I just read is The Speed of Trust. And it talks about how building real trustworthy relationships in your personal life as well as your professional life 
how that not only leads to personal happiness, but it really can accelerate decision-making. It can accelerate how you conduct business in your office or with your teams. And it, it's, really, it's really impactful, and I would highly recommend both those books to anybody. Before we exit our mentoring round here, I wanted to circle back with you about your uh, international experience. And uh, you mentioned, was it Amsterdam that you lived abroad for how long? Yeah, uh, three and a half years. Did you feel at any time uh, that it might have isolated you from a career perspective? Um, Because it, it sounds like a wonderful experience and have you, but it's not always professionally uh, the yeah. best path to take. What would you, uh, what would you share with us? Yeah, for me, it actually was a great career path because I went over as a finance manager there, and I ended up ultimately being the finance director, so the the most senior finance person in Europe. And I also got to have a very broad experience. I got to manage facilities. I got to um, manage the implementation of a shared services center. So we implemented, you know, the PeopleSoft ERP system and consolidated all of the financial transaction processing in Amsterdam for all of Europe. And I got to support nine general managers from nine different countries. So I got to have almost like a mini CFO role at that time in Europe. And the reason that for me it was so beneficial was it was a very broad experience, right? I got to have all these different experiences versus by the time that I left and I came back, I was going to come back to corporate, you know, corporate was huge. The company was huge at that time. And the roles that were available at, at corporate were very, very narrow and very deep. So you became an expert, but you were becoming an expert, right, in a very limited set of responsibilities versus what I had had, which was the opportunity to learn lots of things along, across lots, many aspects of finance. And that was really, really helpful to me. And all, I've been able to draw on those experiences as well as, of course, international experience international experience, which is very, very helpful, just understanding how differently things operate in different countries and having that perspective has been immensely helpful through my whole career. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're about to ask Kelly for her finance leader 12-month priorities right after this very short message from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? It's really helping ensure that we're building this company to be scalable and self-sustaining while in no way impeding or throttling the growth and the potential at the same time. And, you know, that's a, it's a fine line to walk as a, as a finance person to 
help support the growth and, and manage it without slowing it down in any way, but ensuring that at the same time you're investing in the right areas, you're not over-investing somehow, and that the processes in-house are going to be able to keep up with, with the growth. And yeah, that's what we're going to do. Thank you for joining us on CFO Fall Leader. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOThoughtLeader.com.